Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 366. It's titled, Is There a Global Energy Crisis? Lepro and I have been traveling across the U.S. for the past six weeks. I typically don't pay much attention to the price of gasoline, but we've been going to the gas station a lot, and I've noticed that gas is over $4 a gallon for premium. We saw some gasoline stations where gas was over $5 a gallon. There's been times when gasoline has been so expensive that I just decided not to use premium, even though our car says we should. We are seeing the highest gasoline prices since 2014. We're seeing the highest natural gas prices since 2009. Heating oil is at its highest price since 2014. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil prices at $78 a barrel are the highest since 2014. Even coal is participating in this run-up in energy prices. The spot price of coal jumped more than $10 last week to close to $90 per short ton, the highest level since 2009. The IEA reports that European electricity prices have climbed to their highest level in over a decade. In the UK, where wind energy provides 60% of energy needs, they're seeing very, very high electricity prices as power providers are having to turn to burning natural gas and coal. Are we seeing another energy crisis like we experienced back in the 70s? I don't remember much about the 1970s energy crisis. I was in grade school. The winter of 1976-1977 was very, very cold. I was attending St. Margaret Mary parochial school. We combined all the classes and moved them to the gym, put up dividers, and then they closed off half the school. They lowered the temperature. We were wearing our coats in school all packed together. Around that time, Jimmy Carter, newly elected U.S. president, gave a speech wearing a cardigan in front of a wood-burning fire to introduce his national energy policy that would focus on conservation, researching renewable energy, tapping coal reserves in an environmentally sound way. He said that Americans needed to face the facts that the energy shortage is permanent and that we needed to make modest sacrifices, learn to live thriftily. Is today similar? The Wall Street Journal reports that in China, on social media, they show cars driving down the street with no streetlights on, people having to eat their evening meal by the light of their cell phone, families trapped in elevators, because the power was turned off. China gets a great deal of its energy, electricity, from coal. Half of the world's coal production is in China. 
China and its coal usage is a great example of why this energy crisis is multifaceted. For many years, China's economic planners were concerned about electricity prices rising too quickly. So they put in price controls to keep the price of electricity from increasing. When coal prices increased, the power producers weren't willing to fire up their coal plants. And that led to power shortages, particularly in the southern provinces of China. Last month, President Xi said they would ease price controls and allow cold-fire electricity to fluctuate within a 20% range, up from the earlier 10% range. There's also been some challenges to getting the coal supply. As part of President Xi's crackdown on corruption, they have focused on potential corruption in Mongolia's coal region. They've done investigations, and that has impacted more than half of the mines there that have slowed their output as the mine managers try to deal with these investigations. In the meantime, China banned coal imports, particularly from Australia after Australia called for an independent global inquiry as to the origins of COVID-19. So China banned all imports. And as a result, China's coal inventory fell 26% in the first six months of 2021 due to not enough supply from miners as well as import. Their coal production rose 4.4%, but their energy consumption in China has increased 14% as the economy has come back online following the pandemic. Meanwhile, coal imports have fallen 10%. These challenges with coal in China impact the world globally. China has banned exports of coal, and that has led to shortages of urea, which is produced from coal. Urea is used in India for fertilizer and in South Korea to reduce diesel emissions in diesel trucks and factories. Jung Hong Seok, head of the policy support team at the Korea Integrated Logistics Association, said prolonged shortages could spell a logistics crisis. He pointed out that cargo containers carrying imports could get stuck at ports because there's not enough diesel trucks. Construction sites could be halted because there's no deliveries. A lot of these modern diesel engines just shut down if there isn't sufficient urea solution. In India, rumors of these shortages have led farmers to panic and buy urea and other fertilizer components so they can plant their crops. Meanwhile, because natural gas prices have more than doubled, power generators around the world are switching to coal further pushing up the price. Coal production globally was flat from 2013 to 2019. It fell 20% in 2020. The number of coal miners in the U.S. has fallen 43% since 2013. Ben Nelson, vice president of Moody, said the coal industry cannot respond quickly enough to improved market conditions. Most coal is sold on long-term contracts. So when there's a big spike of demand, Nelson points out, Coal producers just can't turn up production like they used to be able to. He said there's just less elasticity of supply. Now, there's been some reports that this energy crisis is the result of a turn to renewable energy sources, particularly wind. And the amount of wind production in the third quarter 
was lower than average because the winds weren't blowing, particularly offshore in the UK. Fatih Bayrol, who's the executive director of the IEA, which is the International Energy Association that was formed way back in 1974 when there was the oil shock back then in the energy crisis, Bayrol said, recent increases in global natural gas prices are the result of multiple factors. And it is inaccurate and misleading to lay the responsibility at the door of the clean energy transition. We look at the cascade of impacts of just decisions made in China about controlling electricity prices and how that spilled over into an unwillingness to burn coal by Chinese power producers. There was corruption investigations that have impacted the supply of coal. There's been geopolitical tensions that have limited the amount of imports and exports of coal which have impacted farmers in India, truck drivers in Korea. It's not just one thing. If we look at the production of natural gas, coal, and oil, it's dropped due to the pandemic. And now with the economy rebounding, there's been some constraints. Political actions can distort market mechanisms, price controls, political investigations, trade bans. That can have a global impact. A lack of excess capacity can lead to price spikes because new production can't be brought on fast enough. But there's also been underinvestment in coal production because it flatlined. It wasn't economically viable to invest in new coal production. Investors wouldn't get an adequate return. Much of the investment is going to renewable energy, wind and solar, battery technology transitioning away from oil and coal. If we look at the data of power generation, the different sources, coal makes up 36%, down from 41% in 2013. Natural gas has been fairly steady at about 26%. Oil has fallen from 5% down to 3%. And renewables have gone from 17% to 29%. In 2020, renewable electricity generation rose 7%, with wind and solar accounting for 60% of that increase. IEA says that spending on coal-fired power reached a decade low last year, and investment decisions to build new plants continued to decline. It's not economically viable. If we look at oil, oil consumption in developed nations has been declining since the early 2000s. The only reason why overall oil consumption has increased is due to developing nations. What is unclear is as we move more and more to electrification of cars, whether even in developing countries, will that be enough to offset the decline of oil use in developed countries? The IEA reports that gasoline demand is unlikely to return to 2019 levels due to efficiency gains and the shift to electric vehicles. One of my favorite energy analysts is Gregor McDonald. He points out a fundamental truth when it comes to energy use and why renewable energy is getting so much more investment and why other areas, oil, coal, are getting less investment. McDonald writes, simply put, roughly half of the total fossil fuel consumed each year on the planet is lost to waste heat. 
replacing combustion for the energy-capturing devices of wind and solar, or propulsion and storage devices like batteries, triggers a clawback of these losses, the loss of this energy waste. Run that experiment continually and soon large tranches of wasted energy, also known as wasted capital and wasted cost, will be removed from the system. Yes, new energy infrastructure has an upfront cost, but that cost is actually an investment that yields a return. That is why capital is flowing to renewable energy. Better returns. It's why power producers are not investing in new coal plants. They're investing in renewable energy plants. And the reality is, as oil prices spike, as they have, that actually increases the demand for renewable energy, including electric vehicles. It's called demand destruction. Higher prices drive businesses and individuals to try to find substitutes. An electric vehicle is a substitute. Global EV sales increased 80% in the first half of 2021 compared to 2020. Electric vehicles, including battery electric and plug-in hybrids, are expected to make up 7.2% of global car sales in 2021. That's up from 2.6% in 2019 and 4.3% in 2020. We discussed electric vehicles back in episode 346. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. 
And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. We're also seeing huge investment in large-scale battery storage projects. The EIA, which is a U.S.-based energy think tank, estimates that between 2021 and 2023, there'll be an additional 10,000 megawatts added in battery storage. Big projects. 10 times the capacity in 2019. And you're seeing the cost of that go down. In 2019, costs were $589 per kilowatt hour. That was a drop of 72% between 2015 and 2019. And those costs of battery storage as the technology improves will continue to fall. We are in the midst of an energy transition. And what matters is what's happening on the margin. As electric vehicle sales increase, it means the sale of internal combustion engines flatlines. As renewable energy use increases, the use of coal declines. The use of oil flatlines and may eventually decline. That transition could be challenging for many sectors because there's a huge installed base servicing internal combustion engines, oil pipelines, gasoline stations. That infrastructure can lose its value as an energy transition occurs. That doesn't mean oil and coal or natural gas or internal combustion engines will go away. Back in 1900, in the Lady Holmes Journal, there was an article forecasting what the world would be like in the year 2000. One of the things they predicted was horses would become extinct. Nobody would want horses anymore. But that's not the case. There's still horses around. There's still horse and buggies around. I have a friend that mentioned a podcast called Everyday Driver. Apparently, this podcast focused on classic internal combustion engines particularly early 2000s. I guess the Mazda Miata was their favorite car. But this friend sort of likened it to a podcast back in the 1900s, if podcasts existed, about the horse and buggy, knowing this tidal wave of innovation was coming, but holding on to the existing technology. So we'll continue to use oil, continue to use coal. But what happens because those areas are getting less investment, there is more capacity constraints when we get a spike. And so we will see more volatility in oil, natural gas, and coal prices, simply because more and more investment is going to renewable energy. And as the Moody analyst says, it's not easy to just spin up capacity like that. Now, clearly, governments play a role. They can incentivize. President Biden just signed into law a $1 trillion infrastructure bill. Within that bill, there's $73 billion for the electricity grid, specifically to upgrade the country's power systems to handle renewable energy. There's $7.5 billion for electric vehicles, particularly to build out charging stations around the country. They're discussing additional tax incentives to purchase electric vehicles. So just as government action, as we saw in China, can disrupt market mechanisms, government actions can incentivize different outcomes. In conclusion, then, are we having a global energy crisis? No. 
The energy crisis in the U.S. in the 1970s was due to not enough supply and very high oil intensity. According to Columbia University's Center on Global Energy Policy, back in 1973, the world used just under one barrel of oil to produce $1,000 worth of output, or GDP. By 2019, the world used 0.43 barrels of oil per $1,000 of global GDP. That's a 56% decline. Oil became less important. Our efficiency in using oil increased. They point out that that trend is fairly linear. Year by year, the global economy becomes less dependent on oil and less dependent on coal and more dependent on renewable energy, which is incredibly more productive because you don't have wasted energy. And that efficiency will increase even more with better battery technology and better software. Gregor McDonald, the energy analyst, writes, the downside of variable renewable energy is that it's not as dumb as fossil fuel combustion in power generation. A coal-fired power plant gets up, runs, and keeps running while fed with coal. It has little flexibility, but that is its edge. Coal is a blunt tool, and blunt tools can be effective. But the upside of variable renewable energy is that when paired with a battery, it can be digitally sliced up and routed to specific markets, users, and transmitted at a chosen time. It is energy on demand, incredibly efficient. He continues, fossil fuel-powered electricity is reliable, but grossly inefficient, losing large sum of its power to waste heat. Any transition will be bumpy. As we're seeing right now, there will be price spikes, particularly when you shut down the global economy due to a pandemic and then bring it online. And there was deferred maintenance. There wasn't enough workers. We're seeing those shortages globally, not just in energy, but in many elements of the economy. And of course, that has led to rising prices and inflation. But we don't want to confuse short-term price trends in the energy space with the long-term trend to renewable energies because they have a competitive advantage in terms of their efficiency and they're only getting cheaper and cheaper relative to other solutions. That then is episode 366. I'd like to help you become a better investor. Certainly the free podcast helps with that. But have you subscribed to my email newsletter? It's where I share an essay on money investing in the economy each week to that list of thousands of email subscribers. I put a great deal of thought and time into that newsletter, and I would love you to be able to read it and learn from it. You can sign up for the Insider's Guide newsletter at moneyfortherestofus.com. Another way I would love to help you become a better investor is by you becoming a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. This is the premier investment education platform that's been operating for almost seven years now. Plus Membership gives members the tools and resources they need to manage their investment portfolios. Not only can you tap into my more than two decades of investment experience, look at my portfolio trades, 
But my research is backed by top-tier institutional research partners, such as Ned Davis Research, Capital Economics, MSCI, Refinitiv Data Stream. I curate the most important content and lessons to help you make better portfolio decisions. You'll also access a community of over 1,000 members to get their insights. Money for the Rest of Us Plus is a bargain compared to a college credit or subscribing to institutional research services that cost tens of thousands of dollars per year or even hiring a financial advisor. You can learn more at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.